This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Josh Muccio, and from Gimlet Media, this is The Pitch, where real entrepreneurs pitch to real investors. Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hey, Michael. Fantastic. Hi, Nicole. Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Charles. Charles. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Jillian. Hi, Jillian. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. In the pitch room today is founder Stefan Lobel. He's here to ask for $600,000 for Bluffworks, a startup that's hell-bent on making stylish clothing practical for people on the go. Today, we're going to find out what happens when a founder serves up the pitch of a lifetime. And you might think a solid pitch is the secret to getting investment. But that's only one part of the equation, which raises the question, for investors, what matters more in the end, the business or the pitch? Let's find out. Here's who Stefan will have to convince. I'm Gillian Manis. Jillian is a partner at Structure Capital and an angel investor on the side. I'm Charles Hudson. Charles is with Precursor Ventures, where he invests in early stage startups. I'm Nicole Verkent. Nicole runs a software company, and in her spare time, she's an angel investor. I'm Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two Canadian companies, and now he invests for himself. All right, on with the pitch. Ready, set, go. Ready, set, go. So once upon a time, I took a job writing software in Hanoi, Vietnam for... Wait a second. I forgot something. That's quite the knapsack. <laughs> Stefan is rummaging through his knapsack on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I just... You know, a blazer really makes... All the difference. <laughs> you look really smart now. Yes. Now you look like a VC. So Stefan pulls out a crumpled up navy blue ball of cloth, unfurls it, shakes it out, and voila, it's a blazer. Here's the thing. All the wrinkles have already disappeared. So, as I was saying, I took this job writing software in Hanoi, Vietnam mm-hmm. for $4 an hour. And it was a fantastic adventure. We lived in an alley that was just this wide, my wife and I. The back of the alley, there were pigs and there were chickens. And, you know, I, we spoke Vietnamese the whole nine yards, oh, right? Wow. But did you wear a blazer? No. No. <laughs> but while I was there, I wore travel clothes because, you know, I would get caught in the rain on my motorbike once a week. Travel clothes were easy care. I could wear them again and again. They never wrinkled and they're very durable. When I moved back to New York to start a family, I couldn't wear my travel clothes. There's no way I was going to be taking travel apparel and wearing it into the office. That's when Stefan thought, I could be the guy to change this. But he knew it wouldn't be easy. Travel clothes are meant to be comfortable and casual. Think breathable, quick-dry hiking stuff by brands like Patagonia. 
But somehow, Stefan found a way to make clothes that look good enough for a business meeting, but can be worn almost anywhere. And he started with pants. In 2012, I launched a single pair of pants on Kickstarter. And in 35 days, we we sold over 2,000 pairs. And what we showed from that is that there were other guys that had the same lifestyle as me. Biking to work, shoving my pants in the bag, wrestling with my kid in the ocean, all that kind of stuff. And after that, the travel community really picked us up. Since then, we've built an amazing following of passionate, so far men, who are leading extraordinary, normal lives. And I've done everything to get here, from crying in the office and vowing no more, to moving my family in with my parents, where my 18-month-old son slept in the closet, to all of the crazy short-term capital that we've used this past year to double our business. And now I'm here to raise $600,000 to bring Bluffworks to more of the world and help men and women make their lives big and their wardrobes small. Mm-hmm. And what is the product? Like, how does it work? What is the work? product? Yeah. It's your blazer, right? It is. So last year we had three products. We had two pairs of pants and a blazer. Okay. And we added this dress shirt and another pair of pants late in the year. And what's the innovation? They don't wrinkle or? They don't wrinkle. Okay. Can you come over here with your jacket? Can I see it? I actually, I think that's a smart looking jacket. Oh, yeah. It doesn't look like it's no. Yeah. Okay, so. All right. So here's one for you guys to take a look at. Stefan uncrumples another jacket from his bag and hands it to Michael to try on. Actually, you know what? That doesn't fit that badly. It's too big, but it's nice Well, it's too big on the sleeves, but, you know, you've girth, so it's definitely filling it out, you know, their shoulders. That's not bad. It looks good. It looks good. It feels good. Looks good. Okay, if it was fitted, it'd be great. So Mm -hmm. tell us about it. What's so great about this, and what does this cost? Yeah, sure. So it's $295.00. Sell exclusively through bluffworks.com right now. $295? And what you really need to do is feel the jacket because that is 100% polyester. That's 100% polyester? Here's what we do. Okay. We take technical fabrics and we make them less technical looking, less technical feeling. Our customer wants a classic look and feel. He needs help with his wardrobe. He wants this guidance. He's sort of more of an, an everyday guy. Polyester has kind of a bum rap. People think of it as cheap, not breathable, hot. But the Bluffworks version of polyester seems to have left the investors pleasantly surprised. Um, These are our pants. These are also 100% polyester with mechanical stretch. This is our shirt, which is 98% poly and 2% span. This is a sweater. When people feel this, they're like, what's this sweater made out of? It's 100% poly. So the challenge for us, we have some products that will be IP protectable. Yeah. But many, what we do is it's just an aesthetic that says, I want a shirt that's this soft, that's going to perform. So l- let, me, let, me, let me say this for all of us. Uh, this is uh, great clothes, looks nice, feels nice. Check, check. Yep. This is a really tough category, yes. very competitive, low margin, yep. retail. Maybe you have a better distribution. Tell us why this is a business we want well, to invest in. Let's hear about the great. margins too, because yeah, where like, are you manufacturing Should we start now? with revenue? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that reasonable? Yeah. Okay. So Charles. Yeah. We don't have any revenue. All right. We're pre-revenue. We got nothing. Okay. Right. For everyone else. Five years ago, we went from 100,000 to 500. Okay. He's, a pre-revenue, oh. He's a pre-revenue guy. He's a pre-revenue guy. This guy's good. Not exclusively. Not exclusively. 100,000, 500,000, 1.1. We had a brand misstep 
a year and only grew to 1.3. Love to talk to you guys. I hired a New York firm to polish our branding and taking it to the world. And they took me out of the brand. And the power of what we do is the authenticity and my authority on travel. Oh, yeah. Because oh, I, I totally. cultivated sure. yeah. everyone who's like, <laughs> <laughs> you need the Vietnam story I mean, in there. Yeah. You it know? gives yeah. you so much street cred. And through Kickstarter, what I've cultivated with our customers and the way that our yeah. new customers, they communicate with us in the same way um, that our Kickstarter customers do. So, yeah, that was a mistake. Notice how Stefan is controlling the narrative. Before the investors could even ask about the slowdown in sales, Stefan told that story about the brand misstep. Smart move. And then last year we did 2.2 million net on just the three products I described. Uh, two okay, pairs of pants what, what, what's, what's the, talk about the gross margin yeah, of the business. Yeah, so yeah. that's to everybody, that's your revenue minus the cost of goods sold. So the cost of making the jacket yeah. or, or, your, or your stuff. What, is it, what does it put out in percentage wise at the top there? Yeah, so right now we've made every product in New York except for this shirt. Okay. All of these products are moving offshore right now, this okay. year. Okay, we say okay. offshore. So the, so How the offshore? cost of goods sold will be 25%. So we make that blazer even in New York for $77. Happens to be our best margin product. We move it offshore, we're going to get into the 60s, we sell it for two ninety five. So by moving offshore, the margins will be productive. Sure. Explain to me, I, 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 as a guy who travels, I, I think this is a, a great yep. product. I mean, this is really nice. I mean... I, I get it. But again, let's go back to this being a really competitive, yep. low margin, yeah. tough place. You got to go offshore for that reason. That's fine. But tell me how this business gets to 20, 40, 50, 60 million, 100 million of revenue. Because until you get real bulk in size, mm-hmm. nothing really happens in this space. So the way that we're acquiring customers today, uh, when we do a paid customer, we spend $49. Last year, we spent $49 to acquire a customer. Mm-hmm. This year, we're acquiring customers at $56 for an AOV at, at 233, you winced. Our margin leaves $109 to acquire customers and break even. That's the first thing. The second thing though, is we have such a powerful base through travel. Word of mouth and travel, people wanna talk about it, right? So at that moment, they have a problem to solve. When they search on best travel pants or best travel blazer, they're not looking for one piece, right? They're, they're at this moment, they booked a big trip typically, they are more time sensitive, they are less price sensitive, Give us a little bit of a roadmap because I think this. I think we all like you, and I think we all like your product. Mm-hmm. Tell us how this becomes a big business. Just in your own words, tell you. Tell us how you get to first. I don't know fifty million in revenue. Okay, so first of all, we add products that meet existing demand that we know exist. Okay, the second thing is we continue to play in the travel space where we acquire a customer and then we keep them back home. The third is, you know, it's competitive, right? So how do we develop notable products? I have a very empathetic approach for our user. So I can think of problems that, for example, working on a short, which is protectable, that has a fully waterproof pocket. Why can I not have a swim trunk or a short that has a fully waterproof pocket? It drives me crazy. So we have an array of notable products like that. When we put something on Kickstarter, some of which will launch- Fully waterproof pocket. Oh, absolutely. Of course, for the guys. guys. Huge, huge. Let's go a little bit more on product. How do I get to be a $50 million business? We're designing things like um, a technical, uh, a, a, like rag sweater, like almost like a fisherman sweater oh, yeah. that has elbow patches. And like what? It's almost a little like commando a military. Yeah. It's made out of polyester. You can wash in the washing machine and it won't pill, right? Wow. So, I so need like this. a raincoat. What's an elegant men's raincoat that will pack and then he can travel in? It has a few hidden pockets, you know, for travel. So that's the design. This guy is tossing out new product ideas like candy from a parade float. 
you get a product idea, and you get a product idea. Anyone need product ideas? I've got all the product ideas. And the investors are gobbling this up. But this seems to be Stefan's answer to how will this thing become a big business? He'll just keep launching new travel-related products, which may not be the answer that investors are looking for. I, I, I just need to kind of bring you back to being, being a little more specific about how we're going to get that jacket on enough people. Are you an online only? Are you going to go to retail? Are you going to go direct? How yep. are you going to get these travelers? Like, give, give us a little, it's go a one level strategy. down. Are you doing social media? Are you, how, what's, you know, what's... I, I, I don't get a feeling that you have a plan to 50 million. You have this vision of people using your product, but I, I want a bit more meat. Okay. The plan to 50 million is for us acquiring customers online only and being through Bluffworks.com. Okay. There's a point where a lot of digital companies end up adding their own retail store. And and we've budgeted to add four stores in a couple of the out, out years, but we're going to be majority e-commerce. We know, working through our advisors, that we're going to spend 20% of our net on marketing. So direct to consumer or are you going on Macy's.com? Direct to consumer. Direct okay. to consumer. All direct to consumer. The last part is we can because we have the authenticity of the brand, I can move into other categories, which are very popular. I know what's popular based on data. Fitness, for example, is very, very popular. You see brands just try to reach for fitness. No one's doing fitness for travel. Exactly for our guy that says, when you travel, here's the kit. We, can, we know that the travel market is big. We're data-oriented, so I know I can acquire customers. I can grow to even further in the data, and we can leverage us being a lifestyle brand and the efficiency of our acquisition to grow to be really at scale. Stefan finally gave the investors what they were looking for, his plan for how to market his products to consumers. But did you notice what he did there at the end? He brought things back to new products. But this time, he said the magic word, data. So it's more products and then... It's like an old birds. This seems like it needs something. It's almost like um, Shave Club. You know, it had... Mm -hmm. You know, it was a yep. kind of there was something there that people really like. It was fun. It was interesting. Um, it and you and people realized how much they needed it. God, uh, and travel has so much potential. And travel has some. Potential. I keep coming back to: is this a cult brand or an yeah. everyman brand? Yeah. And I think Dollar Shave Club sort of took an, a general purpose product and tried to make an everyman-ish brand with a yeah. personality. Yeah. And you've got these sort of two distinct customers. You've got your backpacker or hardcore, I want my life in a small bag for a month, mm -hmm. and you've got the business traveler. Can you speak to the same, can you speak to you both of those people? You can. And like, can you can you actually use some of the social media channels to grow, or is this more, because I think cult brands grow without really loud marketing. Right. Yeah. And so like, how do you think about Jillian's yeah. question in the, in the context of customer segments? That's great. You know, the reason I made that brand misstep is because I had a hard time figuring out between these two customers. Is it the 80-year-old guy who literally sleeps in his pants overnight to, <laughs> to prove to his wife they won't wrinkle? Or is it the 24-year-old backpacking? We can do that a couple of couple of ways. First of all, we know that, that, that the brand appeals has a wide base, the, the things that they have in common, right? Um, but second, like we can advertise and we can speak to both of those customers, for example, also by the products we develop. So lightweight blazer, lots of search instance on lightweight blazer. This blazer's lightweight. We're making an even lighter one, reducing the pockets to go after that search instance and data. And so that could be more of the business traveler guy, right? We can we can speak to that. But I don't Google lightweight blazer. But I know how many other people do. No, I, I actually. So I? you're you're the product genius. Like I always think every founder has one, maybe two superpowers. Like 
based on what I've heard, marketing maybe not your natural go-to move, but product Absolutely. instincts. Because I was wondering, like, what am I betting on as yeah. an investor? And like, yeah. and this company you... hinges on your ability to identify Steve Jobs. these really interesting travel-inspired products. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like Stefan's message that he's a product geek who really gets his customer is sinking in. There's just one more detail the investors would like to work out. Well, t- walk us through how much you're raising and what are you going to do with that cash and where does that cash bring you to? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Um, why am I raising $600,000? We have a model um, that achieves 24 months of runway and 24 months of growth based on a million dollars. I am attempting to oversubscribe the round. And you haven't and, raised any money to date? or um, We have raised money. So we raised $850,000. Let, let me ask you a question. Um, and I've, I ask this a lot. But I want you to tell me what the journey of my money is. So here, mm. let me give you an example. Let's say I write you, a, for example, round number like a hundred thousand dollar check. Yeah. In your six million dollar round. Yep. Take me, take my hundred thousand on a journey. Okay. Tell me what happens in how many years. What should I expect from that? Okay. The only thing I'd like to do is I'd like to change it for six to six hundred thousand, just because under the lights I'm going to goof up the math. Okay. Let's do six hundred thousand. Thank you. Um, $600,000 at a $6 million valuation is going to be 10% of the company. Okay. We're going to go two years from, from here. We're going to be $13 million in revenue. At that point, we're going to do a Series A. That $13 million will be valued, let's say it's on 20. We're going to raise $2 million, which is 10%. Your equity is going to go down from 10% to 9. I now have to get you a 9x return. So I've got to sell the company for $90 million. Apparel companies can do that. You get to 50, especially all e-commerce. We can sell you for 90. 50 million in revenue you have to get to. That's right. It's wild to me that Stefan was ready with an answer to this question. I think he nailed it. Let's see if the investors agree. Jillian is up first. I like you. I like you. You're smart. You're savvy. You're personable. You are the product genius for sure. I think there's a lot coming out of you. There's a there's tremendous amount. Um, I have never invested in apparel. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of sitting here. Have any of you invested in no, apparel? I hate clothes and I hate food when it comes to investments. Charles, have you ever invested in apparel? I, well, I've done something in eyewear, so I guess that counts. Okay. How, how, what's your gut on this? I think a lot of things that Michael brought up, I think, are the trap, which is if you don't have a brand that can stand out in yeah. some way in the yeah. mind of the consumer, yeah. in crowded categories, you just drown. Yeah. And so there's got to be something that, that feels like fundamentally unique or compelling about the product, whether it's price or availability or brand personality. I think all of those yeah. things can work. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 very different than trying to assess a B two B software yeah, company. Course. I mean, I do tech, so mm-hmm. it's a good diversification the, play. The only time I ever didn't do tech, I well, it was tech, but it wasn't. It was a company called Juicero. Oh yeah, and I invested a lot of my personal money in, and it blew up in my face. Mm. Um, and um, and I remember at the time saying, Jillian. You invested in something so out of your yeah. knowledge base that what the heck? And it really left me scarred. And I always had this little voice in the back of my head saying, don't invest into something you don't know. Like, And I don't know anything about apparel, but I have to say that 
I would buy this for every single man. I have three boys that are older. I would buy it for my 90-year-old father. I would buy it for my boyfriend. I mean, I literally would buy this. And so that's the kind of the rub here. So I'm thinking to myself, so I think this is what I'm going to do. Okay, um, I'd like to put just 50,000, my own money in, just as a vote of confidence, because I think you're going to do this. Um, And if there's anything in my in my ecosystem, my own community, I can sort of pull in to help you. I I will, but in all honesty, but with that 50,000, I want six jackets. Okay. I want one for my father, one for my boyfriend and three for my sons. You bet. Okay. Jillian. That equals five. You got it. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Jillian is in with $50,000 of her own money. Charles is up next. I think you have a unique eye for your customer and like what he really needs out of travel. And my hunch is that your instincts are going to pull you in directions that other people won't go. I think you'll end up building a brand that's a kind of a weird collection of assets, but that totally makes sense for the person that you're going after. And people will look at it and scratch their head and say, how does he sell a travel backpack, a blazer, a running shoe, a beach towel, you'll have a bunch of really interesting SKUs. Um, so we've only recently started investing in um, apparel or what we call tangible goods at Precursor, but I have a good feeling about you. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm going to invest um, $50,000. And I would be open to potentially doing more if I could get comfort with the rest of your team and the people you've surrounded yourself, particularly around... Um, Marketing and brand execution would really be the question where I'd want to go deeper and, and I'm open to being convinced that it should be a larger commitment if, if all of that checks out. Yeah. Thank you. I'm thrilled to have you. Charles is in with another $50,000. Stefan is two for two. Nicole's up next. I think I, um, I think I'd want to, I want to buy some of the products. I want to see them being used. Um, I've bought into you for sure. And I actually feel this very personal connection to uh, the problem you're trying to solve. I've bought into the person you're selling to. Um, I think I'm, I'd like to try the product and play around with it and then show it to a group of angels that I'm investing in with and and see them like see them try it. And um, so I'd like to be included in the emails in terms of follow up and Great. I will follow up. Thank you. Um, but I, I can't say yes right now because I have this immediate gut reaction to apparel because I don't understand it and because it's so saturated. But it feels like a cool, kitschy brand, and uh, I'd like to try it. Thank you very much. Nicole is out for now. Michael is the last investor left. Yeah, I normally wouldn't want to be involved in apparel either. I think it's a very tough brand. Uh, I really like you, though. I think you're that kind of founder that we think is just quirky enough to make that great uh, promotional video. And um, I'll tell you this, I'm in a family office with four or five other guys in, in my family and a couple of my CIOs and my, my legal department and stuff like that. And uh-huh. and this is what I'll tell you. Um, I will invest if we get them some of your jackets and they put them on and because they travel a lot. Yeah. They like them. Yeah. Uh, we'll come in. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure and I love the show. You guys do such You're a really job. onto something. Yeah, you this are. Is something yeah, else. Thanks. Congratulations. Thank you. Well done. See you. Cheers. Thank you. Stefan leaves the room with $100,000 from Charles and Jillian. 
and potentially more from Nicole and Michael. And they can't get enough of Bluffworks. I don't want to. And I'm I think Daddy nice. will go crazy over this. I'm not kidding. He's a really nutty dresser. I mean, he's really well, I'm, great I'm dresser. really interested to see what my brother and uh, the, the guys in my office yeah. think. Uh, you know, inevitably, they'll, I think they'll like well, it. Charles, you're keeping that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it it looks awesome. I'm totally keeping it. <laughs> Totally keeping it. I agree. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to LA, then Japan. So I'm going to, I didn't, I bring You're a jacket with too. me. So I'm going to bring a jacket with me. So now I have a dinner jacket. See? There you go. Sticky, sticky, sticky. It's the one thing you can't fix. Like, Jillian, I, don't you wish you had women's jackets right I'm now? I'm killing It's the one myself. thing you can't fix when you travel for business yes. as a guy. Like, you get off the plane, you can have a wrinkle free shirt, but the jacket. That, that's right. But you that's gotta it. wear it. True. And I'm always you hanging it on that stupid little jacket. You always, even if you roll, I've looked at every YouTube video about how to roll a jacket to minimize it. Just, it's like, it's a fabric issue. Come on, this rocks. All right. Thanks. I think that was one of my favorite. I think that was my favorite pitch. I never We've got had. Stefan left a lasting impression on the investors, and there was sort of a buzzing excitement in the room. I'll admit, I was kind of geeking out in the control room. This guy is good. But after the break, Stefan learns the hard way that it takes a lot more than a good pitch for a deal like this to make it to the finish line. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. I talked with Stefan about four months later to see how things panned out. Before we dive into kind of what happened after the pitch, um, first I wanted to say I was listening to the pitch again this morning and your opening spiel that you gave was the, the best I think I've ever heard. I was basically just mouth open, like, holy shit. Like, where does... Where does someone, like, where the hell did you learn to pitch like that? You know what I like to tell you before I went in is that, you know, I was nervous and I, I was I was physically struggling a little bit and a, a couple of nights of crummy sleep and working really hard and crummy diet. And two things happened. The first is that you guys told me that this was the same recording studio where Journey had recorded Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> <laughs> and the second is my best friend and right-hand man sent me a text message and he said, 
swing for the fences. And, and that was it. I took those things and I was basically like, screw it. Let's just go. And that, that, that gave me the fuel to, to just really connect with my story, tell it like it is, and um, I don't know, go as hard as I could. There's this other moment that really struck me was how well you know your customer inside and out. Like you have this unbelievable clarity around who's buying your products, what they like and what drives them. Uh, and it's it, like, it made me think of like b- the business textbooks that like tell you to do all of that. But I've never actually seen somebody like embody that in such a way like you did in the room that day. How? Like how... How do you do, how do you do that? I mean, I, I think there's two reasons. The first is that I am the customer. And um, in, in fact, when you look at some of our competition, which are like younger, more urban brands, they were started by younger, more urban guys who make products for their customers. So, you know, when you're living the product, um, it, it, it's easy. It's easier to connect with that person. But the second is, honestly, we had a hard time getting it right in the beginning because I had everything you know, back in the day. We just had a single pair of pants. I had everything from. 20-year-old guys going to Europe, bringing that one pair of pants to an 85-year-old guy who slept in our pants just to prove to his wife that they wouldn't wrinkle. And so people like, you know, what's- <laughs> That sounds like something only an 85-year-old man would do. <laughs> you know, so people say, what's your age and demo? And it's it's not, you know, of course we have a, a primary age and a demo, but it's really about what connects these guys and how they feel about their their lives, their journey and travel and what they're looking for in products. And um, it did take us quite some time to get there, honestly. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, so after the pitch, yeah. like- Something happened um, with, I, all I know is I was copied on an email from Jillian. Uh, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> can, you, can you walk us through what happened? I mean, I assume that what we're referring to is that we had a shipment of blazers that were crushed in the warehouse. They were packed 30 deep. And, you know, that amount of pressure, you know, about a pound a piece put creases in the blazer. And we shipped them, and she was she she was I think she was crestfallen. The response she immediately told me she's like I am out. And I I thought about that. I was about to answer, and then I stepped back for a second, and I was like, okay, wait a second. This Jillian in particular is so passionate, and the conversations I had had I'd already talking to her. She was already helping connections and ideas. She was so passionate, and I thought she just went out and want one shot. Why? And what I realized is that I let her down. I had, mm. I, we had connected to a degree that I raised her hopes and then um, I let her down. And in the moment when you're experiencing that, it feels like it's completely the world. It's going to crush the company. And I've just learned over time that it's just not. And yeah. we're going to go through it again in some other shape or form. And, and even despite it, we're going to keep going. And in the end, we, you know, we got her blazers. You weren't freaked out in the moment? I was... I was disappointed. I was not freaked out in the moment. I mean, if Jillian was to, um, you know, not participate, I would find another way. It just was what it was. And I, I mean, certainly yeah. I worked super hard to fix it. We got her replacements. We fixed the problem in the warehouse. We sent data that it affected 8% of our blazer shipments. It was just a really bad confluence um, for, for her. And actually, it, you know, it happened to others at the same time too. And um, And then, you know, in the end, you know, she ended up being out when she went into due diligence, which told me 
the product worked. Huh. She got to the point where she liked it. And then she went into due diligence of, of apparel. And what she said to me is that I just realized through going through this process of how little I know about the industry. Right, which was her fear. She mentioned that in the pitch. She's yeah. like, I never, I've never invested in a, an apparel company before. Oh man, that's disappointing. I was hoping that uh, you were able to turn it around because your response, like the first thing you did is you sent an email that night that said, I want to let you know, I got your email. I'm sorry, the Blazers, Blazers arrived wrinkled. I'll send you more information in the morning. Um, which I thought was really smart. Just like, you know, let's not talk about this in the heat of the moment. We'll talk about this, you know, if when things cool off a little bit. And then the, <laughs> like, your response just, like, I, I sent it around to the team because I was just blown away with, like, how you kind of saw through, and, and you mentioned this, that, like, you realized that she was disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even just about the product. It's that, like... Mm-hmm. Like it was actually like an emotional, like disappointing thing. And I let her down. Ah, <sighs> yeah. In the meantime, I had previously made contact with Phil Nadell, obviously also of the pitch. And Phil, um, Phil's approach was to put our project. The one investor th- who wasn't in the room. <laughs> That's great. The one investor was in the room. And Phil's approach was to put our project on AngelList. So uh, Phil has a syndicate, meaning he has a number of followers on a platform called, called AngelList, where um, accredited investors can participate in startups. But rather than have to having to do the deep, deep diligence that every investor does, and I think as we know, particularly Phil and the way he approaches numbers, right? Phil they just can trust his diligence. Phil can do that work, and he presents investments to in- investors, to opportunities to investors, and he says, "Look, yep. this is what I, you know me. I'm Phil, and I've done this homework, and you see my track record, and." You know, I invite you to participate, and he has um, a fairly large, very large syndicate there. And we did it, and we released it. And I'm on an airplane that unfortunately had broken Wi-Fi, and I land. And Phil says, "Okay, great, we launched, we're ready to go." And about a half an hour later, he sends him an email that says, "Stefan, I have never received so many opt-outs so quickly." So we are aiming huh. to raise people opting out, people choosing not to participate in this particular deal that he's offering up on his syndicate. That's correct. And I, my spirits definitely sunk. We were trying to raise $300,000 and I said, oh boy, here we go. And to myself, I'm like, damn it. I was just going on a a, a weekend, like off with my son. I was trying to unplug and, um, you know, it was not to be, we, we had to put our nose to the ground stone. So this is what happened. Yeah. That's the worst. So what we did in that moment, the first thing we did is we sent an email to our customers. And my team likes to joke that it's the most successful email we've ever sent. We raised $300,000 in venture from our customers. How quickly? A week. I could not believe it. Oh, my goodness. So at the moment of we're trying to raise 300 with Phil, boom, we raised 300 from our customers directly. The next thing we did is we took a page out of your book. And I thought, gosh, if I could just tell my story better to this community, explain apparel investing to them and and tell them more about what we're about and all the opportunities we have. So you took a page out of my book. Yeah. We released a single episode podcast and it <laughs> saved the investment with Phil. It saved the project. Wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell me more. What 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 happened? Like, what was this? What was in this podcast? What what did I, you say? I mean, I got on it and I I started off by telling my story. 
I said, you know, we're here in Angelus to raise these kind of funds. This is what we're trying to do. I told my, you know, my origin story of the company and why, and I talked about what the product was about. And then I, I interviewed notable people on my team. We addressed their questions through this uh, about 45-minute long podcast that I edited, and it, it saved the project. So you did this podcast, and then Phil sent out another email or, or notification to his followers that normally invest in his syndicate we and told them to go listen to this podcast. We sent it to the syndicate. That's exactly right. And we ended up at 286. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so in the end, you were raising five, 600K on our show. At the end of this, through our customers, through Phil, uh, Phil's syndicate and angel list and through other angels, we raised 1.4. We have $100,000 left oh. in the round. Okay. I kind of want to go back to 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 Charles, um, yeah, I Nicole mean, and Michael, right? Like they they you obviously just kind of breezed over that. Like they obviously they decided not to invest. Um, like what happened specifically? So Michael, Nicole, and Jillian are out, and Charles. I had a, we had a difficult time connecting. What finally happened with Charles is I got an email from him, and he says, "I'm just coming back on the airplane. I have worn your blazer a dozen times." And I've been counting and we should talk. So he was ignoring your emails while he was, you know, like <laughs> testing the product. <laughs> I, I I don't know if he was ignoring my emails, but he was testing the product. <laughs> but we had a difficult okay. time connecting. So he knows me. Okay. I, don't have to, I don't to a degree he knows the industry, but he has a personal experience with the product. He's excited. So now when we talked, he came back with a sum that would that would make us one of our larger capital investors. And frankly, we actually didn't even have room for in the round. And I would have made, we would have made room for him. But then one other thing happened. The timing of his round changed. You know, the timing of Charles's fund was off for us. He, the, we have $100,000 left in the round. We would be, you know, happy to have Charles, um, you know, we'll see where it goes, but we're not under pressure to raise it. So, um, Okay, so let me make sure I'm I'm fully recapping what happened. <laughs> so after the pitch, you send Jillian her jackets. Uh, she's upset. She has a product problem. You respond graciously and like reel her back in. And she returns the jackets. You send her some new ones that weren't crushed in the warehouse. Correct. She likes the product, then goes into due diligence and again realizes how much she doesn't know about apparel and decides to... Um, to back out. That's correct. And then with Charles, <laughs> you're like, where the hell is Charles? <laughs> you know, all, all the while he's actually wearing your jacket, falling in love with it, realizing how much the product, he, how much he loves the product. He finally gets back in touch with you. But by this point, you've already raised 1.4 million. That's right. And the timing doesn't work out for his fund, for the capital that he has to deploy. And so he's not going to make it into this round, essentially. And so that kind of falls through or at least gets postponed till later. That's right. And the other side of this story (laughs) is that after things don't go well, like during the time when you aren't hearing back from Charles and things aren't, you know, you you don't know whether Jillian's going to invest or not. You're doing this syndicate with Phil and you have that thing where they're, they're like, all of his syndicate followers are like, no, we don't want to do this. And so you hijack his syndicate, do a podcast, send all of his followers to that, reel them back in. All the while, 
getting all of your customers to fill out 300,000 in your round. You end up getting 285 from the syndicate, yep. 300 from your customers, yep. and raising a total of 1.4 million. Um, and essentially bypassing the investors that were in the room <laughs> and blazing your own path. That's right. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, if this isn't a story of a scrappy entrepreneur <laughs> who doesn't take no for an answer, I don't know what is. Like my buddy says, swing for the fences. So Stefan's challenges after the pitch. This is the kind of thing you see all the time in the startup world. You reach an agreement with a VC, something happens, things fall through, you try again. You have to show the kind of hustle that Stefan showed. But what I really want to talk about, though, is his pitch. Because this was about as perfect a pitch as I've ever heard. And it wasn't that the investors didn't have any concerns about Bluffworks they're always gonna poke around and prod at the business. But what was impressive was that Stefan had an answer ready for just about every one of those questions. From the moment he set foot in the room, he knew the exact story that he wanted to communicate. He knows his product, he knows his customer, he has a plan to keep Bluffworks growing. And Stefan kept coming back to that story again and again and again. Stefan's pitch was truly a masterclass on how to control a room. And when you're pitching to four investors from different competing firms, all with different backgrounds and investment strategies, you better know how to control the room. This is our last episode for the season, but we will be back with a whole new batch of companies starting on Wednesday, August 15th. We're actually recording those pitches next week, so wish us luck. August 15th, Wednesday, August 15th, the pitch will be back. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Blythe Terrell. We're mixed by Enoch Kim, original music composed by The Musemaker. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks to Lisa Muccio for planning the recording of this pitch. And as a reminder, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. All right, you've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. Oh, and this is your final reminder. If you're in Brooklyn on Saturday, June 16th, that's this weekend, Get your tickets to Gimlet Fest and come see our live show. See you there. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, 
living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.